0: Welcome to Media Roots Radio everyone. This is Abby Martin.
1: This is Robbie Martin. Thanks for joining us again. It's been almost a whole month since we've uh, we've gotten together for a podcast. So we have a lot to talk about with you. Since
0: podcast about Iran, huh?
1: Yeah. I mean we 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 interviewed Yasha Levine together, but we definitely went in, down the rabbit hole of his specific Blog series, so we didn't really have a chance to talk about uh, what the hell's been going on. There's been so much oh, man. crazy shit oh, man. Happening. Well, first
0: of all, the Iran stuff was such a close call. That was legitimately terrifying. I remember we were like texting each other just being like, this could really be it. So, you know, that that's still really scary how close we were and are. Um, and really the only reason that nothing ended up happening is because of Iran's de-escalatory response to our belligerence. So... That was that was really crazy. People should check out the Empire Files interview we did with Dan Kavalik. Not about those um, events per se, but just about the entire history of the U.S. aggression and undermining of Iran's democratic processes and just government in general. And it's just an absolutely mind-blowing interview because even if you think you know a lot about Iran-U.S. relations, it's just like really digs into some unknown uncharted territory that was really surprising to me. So check that out. And yeah, the Yasha Levine interview, I thought was awesome. I mean, Yasha has this really cool tendency where he can just take a really unique approach on something that seems so relevant, you know, immigration, how immigrants are weaponized and just really structured in such a way that's pretty explosive. Um, I thought it was a really incredible, enlightening conversation. His blog series is really great. That episode coupled with your interview with him about Surveillance Valley is just two must-listen interviews on Media Roots Radio that people should really check out. I think that they would gain a lot from them.
1: You also recently did an interview with Chris Hedges. And what was your episode before that?
0: Yeah, I did one with Loki about the UK election, which was cool. Yeah. um, Because he kind of broke down my beliefs about like Bernie because he's a socialist and stuff, and he was just talking about how the tangible differences in people's lives that would be made immediately if someone like a Bernie Sanders or Jeremy Corbyn won, even though overall having faith in the electoral system is kind of a pipe dream in terms of change from the top down. But it's like those, those immediate changes on the millions of lives is worth fighting for in general. And so it was important to hear his insights about why Corbyn was crushed and destroyed in the media and how people can kind of gain some hope and optimism from everything that happened in the UK. But yeah, Chris Hedges was a great one because he just really just goes for the jugular. He can lay shit out unlike anyone, I think, out there right now. So it's definitely worth checking out just for his sheer poetic brilliance and elucidating our reality.
1: I was thinking this time we could just remind people uh, that we do have a Patreon for Media Roots Radio. We could always use your support in doing this podcast. Every little bit counts. You can donate as little as $1 a month, uh, $5 a month. We start to give you like bonuses, uh, I think around the $10 mark. I can't remember exactly, but there's a bunch of different tiers you can donate to. Yeah, please consider supporting us if you like and listen to this podcast at patreon.com slash Radio.
0: I also have custom... Really high quality vinyl sticker sets of Media Roots Radio, as well as Media Roots, as well as some of my art stickers that I customize a, a special pack for you if you donate to a certain tier. So check that out.
1: You know, consider kicking us back a little bit of cash um, for what we've been doing. And uh, even if you just help spread the word, I mean, that's really valuable too. You know, advertising is not free. Um we can't even, we're not even allowed to advertise on Facebook anymore. Yeah. They've they've basically canceled us. So doing any anything like that, supporting us on Patreon, helping us spread the word, replying to people on Twitter, you know, recommending them to check out our podcast, all that stuff helps. We really appreciate it when you do that for us. We appreciate your long running support. I mean, some of you guys have been listening to us for almost 10 years. That's how long we've been around. Our gratitude is overwhelming for your support.
0: And Robbie, you just put out a new episode with Nellie McKay, activist and musician, a complete sweetheart, incredible artist, um, who I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, found out about you and I through just her admiration for Media Roots Radio.
1: Yeah, and our, and our Twitter accounts. And she's also um, definitely an avid viewer of Empire Files, has been, been checking our stuff out for a long time. So it was it was kind of amazing to just have her randomly reach out to us a um, little under a year ago. And when she did, I was like, Oh, this is cool. Um, you know, she she seems like a musician who's into our stuff. And then when I actually looked into her, I was like, wow, she's been on Broadway. She's going to be in this Ethan Cohen play. Like it was just, it, it just warmed my heart to know that, you know, that someone like that is out there and being inspired by what we're, what we're doing. So yeah, check out that episode. Um, it was wonderful to talk to her. Also, check out our episode uh, with Yasha Levine, which we finally put up. Um, if you haven't heard that yet, Yasha's an amazing guest. Um, he's also hilarious, and I think you'll quite enjoy listening to that.
0: And Robbie, you have a new politics show. Shockingly, have already put together twenty three episodes. Twenty four. Really ridiculous. Twenty four. Twenty four. Just put Christ.
1: out. Just put out the twenty fourth one today. 24 Good episodes.
0: i this shit out so quickly.
1: 24 episodes in less than a month. This is the most content I've ever put out in my life. <laughs> it's, a, it's a silly idea, um, but it works really well for just being able to blast out content. And basically, I showcase a different arcade game uh, every day or every other day while I discuss the political issues of the day with people. And uh, the chat's really interactive. So if you like listening to Media Roots Radio, and you like talking to me on or Abby on Twitter, um, definitely come and check out one of the streams of MAME politics where it's about, sometimes it's a mixture of like, it's like 80% political, 20% video games. Um, and sometimes it's more of an even mixture, but you'll always get you know, my daily thoughts on what the hell's going on and be able to ask me questions. And the people in the chat have been so great. They're so interactive. It's worked out better than I have ever could have imagined. So, um, and also if you want access to all of the episodes I put out so far on main politics, uh, you can unlock them by becoming a Patreon subscriber of mine directly at patreon.com slash Robbie Martin.
0: Well, I I love how it's just such a niche for you because you love video games and you love like vintage video games. And, you know, it's just a really cool idea to coalesce the two ideas together. I think it's awesome. I watched a couple episodes. I think they're great. And I encourage everyone to check it out, support you. You've had Lori featured on, I think, at least two episodes, which I really enjoyed. I hope to see more of her three. Yeah. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's been fun. And um, I'm still trying to get Shahid on the podcast or the stream as well he's he's agreed to come on so we'll have a chance to ask him some questions about his upcoming uh election or he, he's not upcoming it's happening r- already so
0: yeah we should get him on Media roots radio he's a, he's great he came on breaking the set a bunch when i had when i had that show he's he's awesome i went to cuba with him too
1: oh i didn't realize you went to cuba with him
0: yeah no he's he's a brilliant dude um I just know what a stronghold Nancy Pelosi has in San Francisco. People may be surprised to learn that she has pretty staunch support. And, and I think a lot of people are just very, very wealthy and neoliberal in general. So it's not as progressive as you may think. He definitely has a battle ahead of him. Check out his campaign.
1: Well, you weren't as excited as uh, as the neoliberals were at Nancy Pelosi tearing up the so-to speech. <laughs> um. Well, when I got t-
0: home, I, yeah, well, we could talk about that later. But yeah, no, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. What were you I, say mean, when I you got home? I didn't watch the So Too, but uh, when I got home, I was just like, so did Nancy Pelosi do another like bitchy clap? And Mike was just like, no, it's even better. She ripped his speech up at the end. I was just like, damn, dude, fucking slay queen. I'm going to buy that shirt off your website. I'm going to buy the fucking coaster set, all that shit. Yeah. can't wait
1: and uh new york post uh posted a photo that i guess was taken behind her papers saying that she had pre-ripped them like meaning that she oh. had already planned to tear them in half at the end and wanted to make sure she did it like exactly in the center
0: um everything's a game the world's a game <laughs> yeah
1: what i found more wow. intriguing than the tearing up part i mean cuz i saw it live on tv um, was her fidgeting and just acting like super uncomfortable the whole time and like talking to herself, like mouthing things to herself. But I don't know what the hell she was saying. I mean, probably nothing that I- interesting. But uh,
0: Still didn't prevent her from applauding Juan Guaido, giving standing ovations to Trump's failed coup attempt in Venezuela. It's Pretty astounding that Juan Guaido was there.
1: Yeah, I think she even applauded the assassination of Soleimani. I think. Yeah, she did. So, um yeah, the fact that Juan Wido was there was really creepy. But not that actually, surprisingly, it wasn't the creepiest thing that happened at the Soto And we're going to get into the, what that was, actually. But I just wanted to quickly mention something else. Uh I kind of went into a Tucker Carlson rabbit hole uh, the last couple of weeks. But specifically about his family history. And you might be surprised to hear me say this, but his father for the last two weeks has been as fascinating to me as Robert Kagan was when I was working on a very heavy agenda. You would, wow. you would actually be shocked to learn that Tarko Carlson's father is historically one of the most influential U.S. government propagandists ever of all time. Um, he headed the Voice of America for the longest running period of any single person um, he became a complete expert, talking head on it. Rupert Murdoch is introducing him at a 1990 panel on, you know, with all these other media oligarchs, and he's treated there like royalty by p- other people like Ted Turner and stuff. It's kind of amazing to watch. And uh, Tucker Carlson's father, Dick Carlson, also was the vice chairman of the Israeli government funded, defense contractor funded, Foundation for Defense of Democracies, neocon think tank. And he was a vice chairman of that think tank for about eight years. And also, I, I find it odd that we always hear about Anderson Cooper possibly being a spook. He tried to join the CIA. We all, you know, you and I have probably heard for years, many years that a Marcos of the Daily Coast um, was in the CIA. You know you remember oh, hearing of that course. right? So why is it that we haven't heard of Tucker Carlson trying to become CIA? He, igno- he, he talks about trying to join the CIA. And that's just something we don't mention. Like why? is I I find that kind of fascinating that Tucker Carlson is sort of elevated to the status of being an anti-establishment, anti-war hero. Um, But all these things about him are just never mentioned by any of the people who elevate him to that status. And I wonder why. It's really curious.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah. So could we expect to see a lot of Tucker Carlson and his family sorted history and ties into Very Heavy Agenda Part 4?
1: I'll answer that by just saying that in A Very Heavy Agenda Part 4, what you can expect to see is a plot line about the weaponization of fake anti-war. You will see a Mm. distinct thread in the story about personas and people, including Trump, who tried to weaponize being anti-neocon and anti-war for their own kind of suspicious agenda. And how... Being anti-war has almost become meaningless when the president who's assassinating an Iranian general says we need to end endless war at the State of the Union. I don't know how clear I need to make that to people, but I'm going to make it pretty clear. And there will be a little bit of Tulsi Gabbard in there too, so watch out.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a great topic. I mean, that's my favorite topic, as you know. The Trump Expanding the Empire series. We've been focusing on this. People get mad at us frequently. I just saw a comment on our last SoundCloud of some guy saying... You know, the obsession about Trump is really like obfuscating the philosophy of what empire should be, and it's just like we can do both. We can walk and chew gum at the same time.
1: Yeah, that can guy.
0: Talk I, I know who you're talking about. The standing policy of empire, huh?
1: I know which commenter you're talking about. He's yeah. He has some very contrarian comments, but sometimes he like I I find his comments interesting. And hello, if you're listening, but uh, but yeah, he's all he always has something to say about when we talk about that. But I think that people just need to understand that, yeah, it is there is a weird shift away from being concerned about the things that Trump is doing by the left. Yeah, the empire continues with with or without him, but he's also doing horrible things that the left needs to focus on more. Like, why aren't we talking about the surveillance state anymore now that Trump's gotten in office? That was Mm -hmm. a serious concern of the left during the Obama era. That's just not talked about anymore. That's still because happening. Robbie,
0: because they spied on him when he was running for office. So I guess he's not part of it, right? Yeah, Even so that's, that's a bigger
1: deal to people. Look at like a lot of these anti-Russiagate leftists and how often they've talked about surveillance in the last three years. They've mostly talked about it in regards to sympathizing with Trump for having his campaign wiretapped. And that's, yeah, a, that's exactly. a shame. And
0: just drone, drone wars in general. Like I, you know, we were talking about Obama's drone wars almost every day, all the casualties, the expansion of them. I mean, why aren't we talking about that now since Trump has doubled the amount, or tripled the amount of drone strikes, doubled the amount of civilian casualties? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. It so is. it's like the normalization of these tactics and expansion of the empire with every administration just becomes almost commonplace that people don't even feel the need to talk about it, I guess, when it moves on to another one because he wasn't the one who started it. But it's like you're continuing and exacerbating these policies. I mean, for example, this is totally a sidestep from that, but kind of similarly, because it's like the war on Muslims worldwide, but just adding all these other nations to the Muslim ban. Like I barely heard anyone even talking about that. It's totally shocking.
1: And he's probably able to get away with this more now because of impeachment. Like everyone's mm-hmm. like, Oh, the patron's going to backfire on the Dems. It's going to backfire on them. I think what it's really doing, the damage that it's really doing. Um, the, the thing that I don't like about it is it is taking focus away from that kind of stuff that just barely got reported probably because the media can have an excuse not to report at this time. You know, even though, uh, the co-founder of Google was present at the Muslim ban protest at the airports in like 2016. That's how much the media was blasting about it back then, you know, before they decided to make everything about Trump, about Russia. Uh, now that's just not an, of importance to them. It's not a useful weapon to use against Trump right now.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then you have all of this stuff before we get into the Iowa caucus of deal of the century, which we'll talk about in the next episode, the Bernie Warren manufactured sexist charges that Warren just completely concocted out of thin air. She is a known pathological liar who has literally like embellished every single aspect of her life. And it was just, it just came out of the blue you know, weeks before the Iowa caucus, it was so clear cut that she was trying to kneecap who she called her friend and ally, you know, and it was just so funny because the whole time we've been scolded and basically saying, don't divide the party. Bernie supporters are unruly. Just take your gruel and shut the fuck up and don't ever complain. Vote blue no matter who. Um, And this really just revealed how cynical and far she was really willing to go to steal the limelight. But I think, Robbie, it completely backfired on her. In fact, that's when we saw Bernie surge in the last couple of weeks and just siphon all of her support. And it really just destroyed her, which was hilarious because she was getting all this advice from like Hillary Clinton's surrogates and all of these operatives in the Hillary camp. And just completely destroyed her shot, which was really close, actually, to taking the nomination at a certain point. So I just wanted to get your reaction to this and the Joe Rogan incessant attacks from all of these woke um, performance artists on Twitter and in the media before we get into the Iowa Caucus.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, it's so weird for me to even hear you talk about it, because first of all, I think we've just been, both of us have been very busy and we haven't even really had a chance to talk about this yet, which is just kind of crazy. And how many things have happened just in the last month since we did a podcast is Mm -hmm. just kind of mind-blowing to me right now. It feels like it happened so long ago.
0: I know, right? It feels like such old news.
1: Yeah, it's super weird. But yeah, I mean, I found, what I took away from that event that I thought was really interesting is it seemed like a deliberate revealing of CNN coordinating with her campaign to do a three staged multi-pronged smear attack on him that had three distinct stages to it that I was like, wait, this keeps going like the (laughs) night of the debate, you know, when it was like her already bolstering the claim that had quote unquote leaked from her campaign to CNN or campaign people, who are in the present in the room who heard the conversation, that was bad enough that the debate was coming off of the heels of that story. But the fact that then CNN leaked or not leaked, but just was like, okay, now we have, we're going to play for you like the microphone recording of it. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I cannot believe (laughs) that CNN is making it this obvious that this was a coordinated smear between them and her campaign and the DNC probably too. Like, I just couldn't believe they were revealing their hand to that extent. Um, So that was, I I thought was really interesting about it is that it just kept going. I mean, the first part of the smear, you know, if you're talking about in three stages, stage one, CNN concocting the story in the first place, that was their story where they said, we talked to people in the Warren campaign who were present in the room during a conversation with between her and Bernie Sanders
0: no, she- and they weren't even present in the room. They just talked to her after. It was just oh, okay. her and Bernie so, in the room. Yeah, but that's what was even crazier about it. It was like, okay, well, we know Elizabeth lies, so, so that, okay. you trust five of her staffers that she just told after?
1: Fascinating. Okay, so first of all, the indication from that story was that CNN is trying to pull something. The Warren campaign yeah. is either weaponizing a quasi- accurate retelling of a conversation or a completely fictionalized version of it. Um, Even if it was true, what he said, the fact that, and this is just for the sake of argument, even if he did tell her literally what they're claiming, the fact that she would weaponize it at that time was very curious and very like political dirty tricks either way. So, and I don't think he did say it. So it's even worse. I mean, it's like actually one of the dirtiest political smear attack attempts I've seen involving the mainstream media since the Howard Dean scream uh, during the 2004 elections. Like it was that extreme feeling to me of an attempt to take down yeah. Bernie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then after people were outraged about it, like a lot of Bernie supporters were calling her a snake and saying, how could you do this? And then all of her campaign got behind the narrative that Bernie's supporters are toxic and bullying And we should believe women and actually weaponizing the sexual assault like Me Too movement to make it about just two people in a political dispute where one just happens to be a woman. You should just immediately believe them. It was the most offensive thing. It was like the most insulting tokenization of women. It was super offensive and anti-feminist, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, it was just followed by the Joe Rogan stuff, which was Joe Rogan saying he's probably going to vote for Bernie. And then, you know, putting that up on on his channel, I thought, was a really cool thing because it shows you even though Joe interviews hundreds of different people and a lot of people who – are considered right-wing, you know, and a lot of people who are also legitimized and platformed by the same media institutions that were up in arms about Bernie Sanders touting this, you know, alleged endorsement. It was hilarious because the whole thing showed you that, yeah, this is like a battle of ideas, right? This should be how we win, which is that Joe can still hear the ideas of a hundred people who could be considered right wing and then just hear Bernie Sanders and then just still agree with Bernie. To me, it was like, oh, this is actually really good that you can win someone over with just very simple explanations that humanize them in a conversation that's very long and not encapsulated in these short sound bites and truncated talking points and then instead the media just had a fucking field day calling him a transphobe homophobe racist um how dare bernie do this it's insulting he needs to apologize he needs to retract the endorsement it was just like what is going on
1: yeah and that was something that you could have seen coming a a million miles away i mean i was actually surprised here was two things that surprised me about it and we had discussed this for some reason, I think you and I discussed this more privately than we did the whole Warren sexism smear attack. But I think it was it was back when we didn't know what exactly happened. But apparently, according to Joe Rogan, he had no idea that Bernie's campaign was going to make an ad out of uh, mm-hmm. him saying that. Even though Joe Rogan like made a clip for his show where he says he was going to vote for Bernie Sanders, oddly enough, in, in, in an interview who, or where he had on as a guest, Barry Weiss. Um, <laughs> that clip was turned into a political ad by Bernie's campaign that was posted on social media. And immediately when I saw it being posted by the Bernie campaign, I was like, oh my God, Like this is going to open them up for these kinds of smear. I knew it immediately that, that, that what was going to happen next. And I, I was surprised that they would be willing to take that kind of a risk campaign wise um and then in other areas like not take certain risks i i thought it was an odd choice but at the same time uh i could understand why they did it but the part that i'm still surprised by like right now as i'm talking about it is that apparently joe rogan did not know uh, that they were planning on doing that so Mm -hmm. i I was surprised the bernie campaign didn't at least reach out to joe rogan and be like hey just so you know we're about to put up an ad expect you to get smeared (laughs) Like you could be because like he's going to take all the fire, you know, from this is like some of the most fire he seems to have ever taken so far, like in terms of he was in the headlines uh, for like two days straight, more than, you know, Bernie Sanders was that week. Like Joe Rogan's name was in mainstream media headlines because of this.
0: To follow up with this, he commented on on the show and he was just like, you know, the fact that they took all of the things that made me look so terrible i mean you can cherry pick things that i've said over the last 20 years and make me look atrocious and he was like but what's funny is you can't even make bernie look bad so they had to go after joe um but it was just really sad that they did that to him because you know i know all all too well how the media can do that to you but yeah i mean it's sad that he he just had to be the victim of that um campaign cycle like news frenzy it's too bad
1: yeah, I wonder if anyone from the Bernie campaign, like, reached out to him afterwards and was like, we're really sorry. Like, we didn't realize how much is going to explode or, you know, there was someone who who spoke to him after that because I would feel terrible. I mean, I'm
0: just happy they didn't take it down because I was just like, dude, if they take this down after the Jen Uger thing and everything else, it's just going to be such a shit show. So I'm happy that they stood strong. Yeah. That would have been a huge disaster, but...
1: Yeah, and they want to associate Bernie with this whole Bernie Bros misogyny thing. Right. And even like ra- even worse, like racism. That's why they want to make it seem like Bernie's is like Trump like. Like that the same people might vote for Bernie because uh there's some kind of like racial dog whistling going on or whatever. Um it's it's interesting to see the there's certain leftists who will or neoliberal type people who will like try to outwoke Bernie's campaign surrogates and stuff, and the way that they'll talk about things. So there's all these different interesting lines of attack, even, in, even if you're coming at it from an identity politics perspective. You know, It was a really easy one yeah. to go after Chank in terms of if you're coming at him, trying to cleverly attack him from the left, You know, just to sort of saddle his campaign by calling him a misogynist from those old videos. But there's a more triangulated method to try to do that with Bernie Sanders, I feel like. And this Warren thing totally backfired, but there's other weird, you know, quasi leftists or like people who don't like Bernie who use different kinds of triangulated attacks. I don't even know if I'm making sense, but.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. By just attacking the support system, it's like, this is absurd. Yeah. Attacking like people on Twitter who have no other outlet to express their rage over how unfair the media is berating Bernie in comparison to other candidates. And then you just point to that and you're like, how dare you? How dare you speak to us like that on Twitter? Bernie bros need to be denounced by the campaign. It's just like, what are you talking about? So, Robbie, let's get into this whole Iowa caucus debacle. I mean, it came at a pretty interesting time, right before the State of the Union, right before the final impeachment vote, I guess. Everyone was anticipating the Iowa caucus. I mean, millions of dollars blown by all these political campaigns. Hundreds of, if not thousands, of volunteers on the ground. I'm sure thousands at this point, thousands of volunteers on the ground doing door knocking, doing phone calls, uh, investing months and months into Iowa because Iowa sets the stage for the entire primary system. Historically, Iowa is a state that if you go out strong in Iowa as the front runner, then you have wind in your sails um, to New Hampshire, to Nevada the other caucus states, and then also just the primary in general, you have a huge boost, a media boost, polling boosts, etc. And the people who do really poorly on the Iowa caucus historically have either dropped out or had to kind of face the music that they're not viable to move on. So that's why Iowa is so important. Of course, there's been debate on why we start at Iowa, which is a predominantly white state, I didn't even actually understand what a caucus was compared to a primary until this cycle. I think it's because I just have never given a shit about <laughs> like electoral politics to this degree before. And I've never really been invested on like primary to primary and what is actually happening day to day um, because it's always been such a sham. Did you know exactly what a caucus was before?
1: No, I didn't actually. It I didn't learn until the night of that it wasn't part mm-hmm. of the actual primary process. Like, that it wasn't an actual primary vote.
0: It's really interesting. It's like you vote with your bodies. You show up. It's a multi-hour process. And what's odd is that it was on a fucking Monday night. It's like, great. I'm glad that we don't have a national voting day for people who are actually working class or, like, in school. So anyway, they, they have to show up by a certain time and stand in an area where the candidates have their supporters. And so... If you're a Bernie supporter, you stand with other Bernie supporters. What's odd about that, too, is like, you know, a lot of people are really shy about their political beliefs. And so you're really standing in these precincts, 1,700 of them in in Iowa alone, surrounded by your friends and neighbors, you know, which um, I would be proud to do so because I would love to just discuss politics with anyone. But I happen to think that that would actually make people shy away from participating to a certain extent where they just don't want to reveal themselves as who they're supporting, they don't want to really argue with people. So that I think is interesting as well. Um, but needless to say, you show up and you stand there in a, in a group of people. If you can rally together 15% in your candidate's area, then you have viability to get a delegate or multiple delegates, depending on how big the precinct is. Um, let's say if you're a Joe Biden supporter and an a maybe Klobuchar supporter who pulled really low. Um, and you're standing there and you're not viable and you're you know you only have about 7% wrangled in one of these precincts. If you can gather those supporters all together, you can compile a 15% grouping of like Klobuchar, Biden, and reach 15%, then you can siphon delegates from other candidates from not taking a sweeping victory. I didn't realize that. I think that's insane. So that's what a lot of people did. That's when you see these coin tosses. <laughs> basically deciding who to give delegates to, like pulling a rabbit out of a fucking hat, magic tricks, coin tosses. There was a whole thread of them apparently deciding to give people delegates. There was one instance you probably saw, Robbie, where a little kid in a suit literally looked at the coin after he tossed it and then flipped it again and then gave the delegate to Pete Buttigieg. Huh.
1: That's amazing.
0: It was like, I don't think that's the way you do a coin toss, bro. Like, you just saw the result and then flipped it again so you can give it to your candidate. (laughs) Like, completely nerve-wracking to watch this process real time. And then, of course, what happened afterward was just comical. But Iowa has 41 state delegates. And what was interesting, Robbie, is that, I guess, historically as well, it was done on a system of just phone calls. Um, There was a hotline. You would call in, count the people there give over the delegate numbers, and then everyone would tally them up. It's just a big, giant math equation. Um, but for some reason, this year, they decided to unroll an app, an app called Shadow. I love the the name of this. It's absolutely hilarious. You cannot make this shit up. And just put everything tabulated into this bizarre, shadowy app, into a black box. I can't even, like, fathom how many problems we've had with the voting system in this country That infamous testimony of that guy saying, like, we can just flip the votes. Remember, he's testifying at Congress. He's like, this is a joke. The fact that they would invest in this technology, in this kind of, like, cult of technocracy and not just go with the simplicity of paper ballots and voting mathematically, like it has always historically worked, is absolutely mind-blowing. And I think that once we get into the app and who's behind it, it might make a little bit more sense. But so, Robbie, around 8 p.m., even all the anchors on MSNBC and CNN and Fox were just, like, befuddled because in years past, the results come in. The results come in a couple hours after the caucus starts, and then around 8 p.m. Pacific time, we usually have a clear winner, you know, and and then the candidate makes a speech, and then we move on to New Hampshire. Um, So what were you thinking once 8 o'clock rolled around, 9 o'clock rolled around, 10 o'clock rolled around, and everyone was just completely shocked – at the fact that there were no results coming in and they just kept saying over and over again that they're delaying the vote because of quality control, quality control. What was your initial thought when you heard this?
1: Yeah, well, I think first we should say that um, the, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, February 5th. The votes were supposed to come in, like Abby was saying, around 8 p.m., February 3rd, Monday. Uh, so it's been right now almost 48 hours since that was supposed to happen, and 100% of the vote count apparently is still not in yet because of these quote-unquote abnormalities. voting ir- No, they said voting irregularities, they kept saying. <laughs> um, so th- if this happened in any other country uh, that we didn't like, like Venezuela or Bolivia or any any country like that, we would be saying that this was some kind of sham election. So, um, yeah, uh, it's really, really suspicious because Bernie was going into the Iowa caucus so strong. And, you know, any hardcore Bernie supporter uh, who's not an idiot right now is thinking that this seems really suspicious. And it's not just because that this is important dictating the election going forward. It's because this sort of eliminated the ability... For Bernie to go over the top, you know, like and get all that media attention and be able to do like a victory speech live on TV when everybody was glued to their TV. He can't do that now. They're off to like New Hampshire and they're not, th- that moment is gone forever for the entire campaign, for everybody. So that's a really big deal. Also, let's talk about the timing of when this all happened. The caucus. Was supposed to show us the results on monday night but we already knew going forward that trump's state of the union was tuesday and that the impeachment vote was going to be on wednesday so three three giant events happening consecutive days so if anything went wrong on caucus night then that moment's gone baby poof it's gone like a puff of smoke meaning that even though even if the candidate even if bernie comes out with the most delegates he's still not going to get that media pop. Like that's part of this whole process. It's as disgusting as it is. That's the whole part of it. You need that like mainstream media bounce, that pop that you get, you do your victory speech on the night of the caucus. Never. It's gone. That moment is gone. Cannot stress how big of a deal that is. So just the fact that that happened alone is like really suspicious. I think, I mean, I mean, that they couldn't even get clear results on the night of is absolutely ridiculous. And if that happened in any other country, considering the circumstances I just laid out, we would say it was a sham election.
0: And in fact, we overthrew Evo Morales. This is confirmed now that the coup happened through the U S embassy there. You know, all the people involved in the coup were directly tied to the Trump administration, the school of America's the list goes on and on. And this literally was what happened um, except In contrast, um, Bolivia had a free and fair election, and the irregularities were nonsense, according to the Center for Economic Policy Research, which broke down those statistics and showed that it was absolutely fair and free. This is not fair and free. This is a fucking banana republic. People are pulling delegates from coin tosses. There's this application that no one knew how to use. Um, It's completely scorched earth, Robbie, and I think at this point, Um, I'm looking for the international monitors around the world, UN observers, a coalition of the willing to join together and try to overthrow our banana republic because this is a sham government and a sham electoral system, 100%. At first, we found out about the app. Because the app was initially blamed um, for why the results weren't coming in, that people couldn't use the app, that there was all these security protocols, there's no training properly done with the app. We already knew it was going to be shady as hell once we found out there was going to be an app tabulating these votes. Earlier in the day, I found this out and I was like, oh, hell no, Um, this is going to be bad. But who knew how bad it was going to be? Why didn't why why can't they just use a piece of like
1: software on a computer that's been vetted by all the different people involved like beforehand? Like why are they using right? a new? It just doesn't even make sense why they're using any new piece of software that like hasn't been used for this process before on such an important night. I, I, I oh God, I, am just so yeah, frustrated. Robbie, and it's
0: just comical. You cannot make this up. Like the parody of all of this and how it unfolded is like a Monty Python. Episode. It's like the the fact that there were three different number sets coming in and they were just like, why are all these data sets different? Then it came out through, I don't know if Lee Fang was the initial person who reported this, but then it came out that the app called Shadow was under the control of a company called Acronym. A side note is that it was like fostered at a WeWork facility, which is just hilarious. Then it comes out that Pete Buttigieg's campaign donated $20,000 to the application creation. The CEO of the application is married to a senior advisor of the Buttigieg campaign. The COO, CEO, and other political operators working for Shadow were also previously employed by Hillary Clinton's campaign. The firm was also paid for by both the Nevada and Iowa Democratic Party, um, which both have caucus systems. Now, another acronym guy who works for this company is named Kyle Tharp. You look at his Twitter account from the last two years, all he does is hate on Bernie, call him every name in the book. So it's just like statistically speaking, like how is this even possible to have this concentration of like anti-Bernie operatives, Hillary Clinton loyalists, Pete Buttigieg political operatives working for the application that is rolled out to count the votes, Robbie. It's a small world, And baby. then ironically, Pete Buttigieg takes the victory. Yeah, but don't you know, the community, the, the, this community
1: in D.C. is very small. So, of course, these people work together, <laughs> but they're, they're all working for the common good. So it's not like any, there's no conspiracy here that, that, you know, Pete Buttigieg's campaign people or like, you know, shadow campaign people are involved in this this app. (laughs) Nothing there. And I find it. Nothing to see here. Move along. I find it really actually kind of fun to see a lot of leftists who typically would have mocked people like you or I and called us conspiracy theorists like 10 years ago getting on board with a lot of these things. Like, you know, Epstein didn't kill himself. This idea that this app, there's something that this is being rigged. Like everybody thinks there's a conspiracy against Bernie right now and they're openly talking about how we don't live in a real democracy. This is a sham. This is a kind of a sham democracy. It harkens back to uh, the Bush era when our introduction Mm -hmm. to politics, you and I got active in politics during an era after, right after the Supreme Court chose George W. Bush to be our president because of how much suspicious shit happened in that election. And then within a year or maybe a little over a year after that crazy thing happened where the Supreme Court picked George W. Bush, that 9-11 event happens and the neocons that were friends with George W. Bush and his family get everything they'd ever dreamed of, like instantly. That is a very dark timeline to enter our political activism into. So it's so I'm I think it's good that people are waking up to the fact that this shit is really suspicious and fucked up. Because that was really suspicious and fucked up. Both of those things that happened. When we like right after we yeah, got into politics like, or before we got into politics. Yeah,
0: people absolutely, Robbie, good point is that we got initiated into this whole system with the Supreme Court picking George W. Bush, even though he lost Abysmally, in Florida, the the hanging chads, the governor who was the governor at the time that was like tied to the Bush administration, and they said district attorney like on record of saying we're going to hand you Florida. Yeah, I mean it. It just goes on and on how ridiculous that was, and it's like it's so funny because it kind of ties back to Joe. Well, Biden. Jeb,
1: wait, wait, I just realized like, Jeb was the governor of Florida.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about. That. Oh yeah, <laughs> but people like Mark Crispin Miller who have been studying election fraud. And these voting irregularities that have cost us, you know, democratic elections going back to 2000 have been tarred and feathered as a conspiracy theorist. And his entire body of work was undermined by sites like Wikipedia or other like establishment publications that have just like scoffed and mocked him for actually questioning these things, Robbie. And it's just so obvious now that I'm happy that people who are into this and who have been maybe awakened by the 2016 rigging, are following this very closely and realizing how none of this adds up.
1: Yeah, and even I mean, let's even go back to 2004. You know, um, mm-hmm. John, K- that that election was really suspicious as well. I mean, the exit polling compared to the actual voting results was kind of shocking. And that Bin Laden video, you know, that 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 whole that, that whole election was very dark. That Bin Laden video came out in October. I mean, that was the October surprise of the 2004 election. Um, The Howard Dean scream. I mean, Jesus Christ! Like, and so we need to expect that that there's going to be all the stops pulled out to ruin someone like Bernie and whatever. I mean, and this, I'm not saying be cynical, get ready for this to happen, but like, it's it's they're going to do more of this stuff moving forward. So I don't even fucking know what to expect next.
0: If that doesn't resonate with you about the exit poll thing, that's how international monitors observe elections around the world to determine if there are irregularities or something suspicious, if exit polls match up. Within the margin of error, exit polls are not supposed to be wildly off by multiple percentage points. Um, And that's what happened in Ohio in 2004. And John Kerry was like, we'll have lawyers on the ground. And then they just disappeared and he just took the money and ran off with the Heinz dynasty. I was reluctantly supporting him. I think I heard you in the Nellie Mackay interview talk about how you reluctantly voted for him because we were, you know, we were torn with our hatred for Bush and we were falling prey to that two-party politics sham. Um, But Kerry was probably the most uninspiring piece of shit I could imagine, like being propped up to face Bush in general. And then, like, all that shady shit happened at the election. It was just like, damn, dude, that, like, that was traumatizing. All of this has been traumatizing. 9-11, the Supreme Court picking our president, the 2004 election, Barack Obama. Um, it just keeps going, you know? And so that's why it's so offensive to be scolded by establishment elites and Democratic Party voters by being like, vote blue no matter who. It's going to be your fault if Trump wins again, if you don't just like suck it up and vote for the nominee, it's like, I'm not going to fucking vote for these people. They're disgusting. They're they're very similar to Trump. Joe Biden? Pete Buttigieg? Like, what what are they going to do for working class people? What are they going to do for people who are living oppressed that are affected by the U.S. empire's policies around the world? Nothing.
1: Yeah, and Pete Buttigieg, I mean, especially, you know, the fact that he's got some really suspicious shit going on. Um I think uh, I saw someone posting about how he has a map on his wall at home where it shows the minerals and natural resources in Afghanistan. Um,
0: Excuse yeah,
1: me? Yeah, I mean, he's a really creepy motherfucker. And uh, the fact that he's rhetorically very skilled like Obama simultaneously is kind of creeps me out even more. Like to think, what if he is some kind of CIA plant? I'm not saying I... Know for sure that he is, but what if he is? It would it actually surprise you at this point for them to throw a real full on CIA plant in the, in the presidential elections? There's like 15 ex CIA agents running for Congress and Senate right now, or like all these different local government positions. I mean, so that's out in the open, and yeah, I I can't imagine voting for someone like that ever.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, aside from his stint in Afghanistan. Just to like build his political resume up. I mean, he made a really suspicious journey in 2008 when he was like 28 years old to Somaliland or Somaliland, which is this autonomous region of Somalia, this self-declared state to basically do a PR operation for the government when he was 28, again, as a fellow of the Truman Center, which is a think tank that touts muscular internationalism, his best friend Nathaniel Myers, that he went to Harvard with, went with him to this weird 24-hour trip that basically was like some sort of operation for this think tank in DC, is now a senior advisor for the USAID's Office of Transition Initiatives, which is a special division of USAID that literally like, is the one that works with proxies and all the governments that the US is trying to overthrow to destabilize operations. <laughs> he was his best man at his wedding. I mean, it's so suspicious who Pete Buttigieg is. He's so young. Where did he really pop up from? He really does remind me of Obama in that sense, like a smooth-talking fuckboy who has been groomed specifically by, like, the national security state. He also has the top donations from, like, all the national security states, CIA goons, DOD, Homeland Security, and the Justice Department. They all have full faith that he will carry out whatever their vision is. So let's go back to the Iowa caucus as we're talking about this, this app called Shadow, which is a shadowy black box algorithm that, you know, deciphers the vote tabulation is following only 80 accounts on Twitter. One of them is the dark money group that launched these attack ads on Bernie last week called the Democratic majority for Israel. Um, the ads basically said Bernie's had a heart attack and a socialist can't win. So very, very sketchy. Why are they following this group? Why are all of these operatives involved directly in the app? Why is Pete Buttigieg funding the app? How is this legal, right? So aside from that, aside from that, we were waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, they came out with 40% of the votes, 40% of the precincts reporting, which was strange because if you looked at internal polling from Bernie Sanders campaigns and other campaigns, they were saying, we've had precinct captains on the ground in all 1,700 voting locations. And we've all had clear-cut numbers, our own polling data registered in our own applications, and we have them ready to go. So they, everyone was so confused why we were coming out of the gates with a 40% count so prematurely, right, when, when they could have easily just had 100, right? So the 40% count was very, very suspicious. And it showed Pete and Bernie were neck and neck. It basically kind of obscured the fact that, you know, Bernie clearly was in the lead with the popular vote. So, okay. So it took them 24 hours to release any results at all, right?
1: 24 whole hours after we were supposed Mm -hmm. to get the results, which was literally like an hour before the State of the Union. So that means that none of the TV networks were going to show, were going to blast like the initial results anyways. Which is really hugely important for, for the for the momentum of any of these campaigns, even if you're not a Bernie supporter.
0: And what this did was basically um, make Pete preemptively declare victory. He he gave a victory speech, walking out there, basically declaring himself winner and having the media follow suit bolstering it up, saying, can you believe it? The first openly gay candidate takes Iowa. This is historic. This is incredible. And, and touting these bizarre, convoluted number systems on the bottom of the screen without actually clearly breaking down what they mean and what they are. Again, this was when not even 50% of the vote was out. And even when that percentage of the vote was out from the mainstream media, it was wildly different than the internal polling taken from Bernie's campaign was. So at the time of this broadcast, they've released 75% of the precincts reported. Again, two days later, when all of these precincts had all of their handwritten votes counted, easily could have done it themselves, right? All of these precinct captains, again, verifying this, they've, they submitted the votes that day. There's no reason for the delay to happen, How did Iowa Democrats and the DNC decide which precincts and how many of them to release results for, to curate this messaging that Pete Buttigieg was the victor and Bernie was a close second? Because when you look at actually what happened, when you look at who's winning what, that's when it's really interesting because they keep saying Bernie won the popular vote, right? Pete didn't win as many votes. But because it's, it's shifted in this way that the electoral colleges, that because P1 delegates in precincts that are more rural and hold more weight than delegates in like college and urban towns, this is really disingenuous. Because as I mentioned before, 1,700 precincts, right? Every single precinct has a delegate called a state delegate equivalent. All these people rally together at the state convention. These people do not hold any weight when it comes to the primary process. The only weight that delegates hold to the primary process is the 41 that are convened when the election is said is and done. When the caucus is said and done, the 41 state delegates are awarded to the candidates with the most polling and with the most precincts won, right? Wait, 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 a second, wait a second, wait Wait, yeah. th- so... So there's only,
1: so the delegates being counted up right now are not part of the state delegates?
0: Yes. That's why all the media keeps saying Weird. Pete one with the state delegate equivalents. They keep calling it SDE. Okay. And that's why there's such a high number. It's showing like, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of these state delegate equivalents that actually have no weight on the caucus at Fascinating. all. Fascinating. If you look at the actual delegate counts that are the state delegates that go toward the primary nomination, they are equal. At the time of this broadcast, they each have 11 delegates, state delegates, and Bernie is winning the popular vote, which is so disingenuous the way that the media is is laying out this narrative, Robbie, because they keep saying Pete is eking ahead. They'll like fly through the popular vote and the state delegate thing, and then they'll just end up at the state delegate equivalent as if that's the end all be all of who wins the election. And plus, on top of that, they're only releasing 75% of the precincts. It, someone overlaid a map of the Bernie strongholds that haven't been released yet and showing that these precincts haven't been counted for, that actually Bernie did win, which would actually increase even the state delegate equivalents that, that they're saying that Pete has won by. So none of it makes sense, but it gets even worse. It gets even worse. Um, aside from the delegates won by coin tosses, rabbits out of a hat, the shady investment in the voting tabulation, aside from that, Aside from that, there are facts coming out from independent precincts releasing their own numbers now showing a clear and blatant discrepancy of Bernie votes and what the final tallies are from the DNC. The DNC has taken over this process now. For example, Blackhawk County, Blackhawk County, a Bernie stronghold. Because they are doing the slow trickle results, they said we, and this is like the, the caucus supervisor or whatever from the Democratic Party in Black Hawk County. He's just like, why were these results not released? He said, this is not a reflection of our hardworking party leaders. He was like, so here are our votes. And releases the votes and releases the delegates awarded with these votes. And you look at the actual official numbers coming out from the DNC, they are completely fucking doctored. And, and this was one of the only independent precincts wow. who released their own their own independent tabs. And so the Bernie campaign was like, "Wait a minute, this doesn't add up." And they had to retract it. They actually were showing Bennett, Yang, and Steyer like getting like hundreds of votes that really Bernie got. Is everyone going to release their own independent data and show that this doesn't match up with anything that's going on? How in the hell did this county supervisor in Blackhawk report twenty seven votes for Steyer? And then the DNC gave him 400. How did they have five votes for Duvall Patrick, and they and the DNC and Democratic Party gave him 500? Wow. What else is, where else is this happening? Where else is this happening? And Robbie, going back to like how leftists and prominent media personalities are questioning this, that's great because there's a lot of people being shamed um, and a lot of shaming going on. I saw Alexander Reed Ross um, Dave Weigel, a lot of other people who are saying you, this is Trumpian. This is Trumpian to actually question the results and question the legitimacy oh. of this process.
1: Hook, line, and sinker. I knew they were going to do that. I And you know what's funny? I mean, not that I'm giving myself a pat on the back for this, but I also predicted that Trump was going to, the morning after, was going to tweet that it was rigged. So that really, it's like, remember how they were saying years ago that tr- because Trump said that he might not accept the election results— That that was like, that's a Trumpian thing now to say that, to even suggest that an election could be rigged. So it's a really weird form of gaslighting uh, to do, but it's in some weird way, sort of effective and predictable at the same time. Totally predictable.
0: This is proven. And you have, um, you know, like we said, Pete Buttigieg preemptively declaring victory, Bernie Sanders kind of not really knowing how to approach it because his internal polling shows such drastic differences. You have Pete Buttigieg gallivanting around the country with Juan do energy, pretending <laughs> that he won. Several Pete surrogates, did you see this part? Posting direct security breaches, like paperwork trying to bolster the fact that Pete did get these delegates that they're talking about, and also posting direct security breaches of the app. The, the PIN numbers, the application entry login on the paperwork on Twitter and leaving it up for 24 hours where hackers could go in and then change the tally. Fascinating. Yeah. So this was all happening. I think another really telling thing that came out of the Iowa caucus is Biden's destruction and self-implosion. Oh, beautiful. Um, he only got around 15%, nearly the same amount that Amy Klobuchar got. This was someone that we were being told for years was the most viable frontrunner. I honestly thought he, he was going to win the nomination until this Iowa caucus. And now I just think he's a joke. He needs to drop out. I don't know if this is an aberration in terms of Iowa, but this is shocking. This was a crushing defeat. And and it really should have put the spotlight on him being like, Biden, are you a viable candidate? Are you going to move on? And instead, he was questioning the legitimacy I mean, I'm not going to make fun of him for doing that because look at the shit show that happened. But at the same time, this gave him cover for his crushing loss to basically just say, how could we possibly trust these results? I didn't do as poorly as everyone thinks I did. Warren also had a poor showing. She came in third, a really sloppy third. She kind of alluded to the fact that we can't trust the results either. I mean, Warren should have clearly been faced with the notion that she must drop out too, because if she didn't come in second, then why is she in the race? Um, So she just moved right on to New Hampshire, you know? So the whole thing is suspect as hell. How much longer until we get the 100% of precincts? How much longer until we get these Bernie strongholds in? Like you said, it's going to be completely old news at that point. The boat has sailed. There is no moment in time that is going to have that initial momentum that leads someone on to the next round. It's absolutely astounding what has happened. And, and and honestly, I saw reports just being like, we should just put Iowa behind us, Robbie. We should just move on. Iowa's old news now. Let's move on to New Hampshire.
1: So what's the end result of this? That They actually get delegates moving forward in the primaries from this or not?
0: Yes. Yeah. If all the votes are counted and counted properly, Bernie still might win the most amount of delegates. But because of how fucked up the system is and because some delegates are more weighted than others because of the counties that they're in, just like the Electoral College, Pete has more than he even should. Because Pete himself said at one of these debates, he was like, I might be a simpleton, but I think that the person who gets the most votes should win, right? That's how elections should work. Ironically, that's not how the caucus works. It's not how any of this shit works. So Bernie crushed the popular vote, but he still might not win because of all the shady things that are going on. And also the fact that Pete Buttigieg actually might pull ahead in delegates if this isn't cleared up and they never release the full tally. I mean, the question is, is Bernie's lawyers going to get involved and is he going to challenge the results and what do you even do? I mean, it's a moving train. The the primaries yeah. are going to be moving really right.
1: fast at this point. So
0: Yeah. And people are going to say sour grapes, sour grapes.
1: God, it's such a mess. It's such a fucking mess.
0: The sad thing was that the voter turnout wasn't that huge. The youth turnout was big, which I think did help Bernie, but like if you look at voter turnout compared to Obama's, it was like really low. Um, even though the youth vote was 20% higher, so 20% higher than 2008, but it's just like, to me, maybe that signifies that Biden's audience is who didn't show up, but who knows? Yeah. It's not a very good look.
1: Yeah. I mean, just in terms of how important this was for a particularly, you know, a, a candidate who is in the lead, I cannot stress enough how big of a deal it is that we didn't get to see a potential Bernie um, victory speech that night, like live on TV. That really could have taken him over the top to the point where the media would have had to have dialing down their attacks on him to a certain extent. I don't know. I I mean, that's what I feel like would have happened. They would have started giving him more coverage It's like it's a ratings game almost at that point. So if he is the leading candidate, then it's like then they have to cover him more. You know what I mean? Of course. It's kind of like a whole this whole media game is really important. And this gave the media an out to kind of wait on it and not decide what happens until New Hampshire. Because it sort of just put the damper on this whole thing. It could have been explosive. Instead, it was just like oh, weird, it's delayed for 48 hours, and we still don't know. As we're recording this, we still don't know what the final result is.
0: And they're already downplaying New Hampshire, which Bernie is basically predicted to crush as well. And they're all saying, oh, he has a neighborhood advantage, so New Hampshire is not going to matter either.
1: Of course. Of course. I mean, it's this, this, the same type of rhetoric we heard from the Republican establishment against Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. they were all expecting him on Super Tuesday to get totally crushed. And when he didn't, they still came up with like weird excuses and talking points to explain why that didn't matter. And it was like a fluke and it's not going to continue to be a trend. They didn't want to believe it until it was totally too late. Even Even when the convention happened. I mean, do you remember how eerie and strange it was to watch the RNC convention during that election and how like nobody was there? It was like, right. there was like no mainstream Republican support for that convention. And it was bizarre. It was like, what the fuck? Like, this is the RNC? Like, I, I don't know. It was just a strange time. So they're going to do more things to try to saddle Bernie's campaign. The media is going to do more things. And I think this uh, this whole debacle and the dampening of the power this event could have had um, will give them an excuse to just continue to treat Bernie the way they've been treating him. They almost reached a turning point where they would have had to treat him differently and more like a mainstream candidate. But they lo- but they g- were basically given an excuse to not go in that direction until New Hampshire. And that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. And they're not giving enough focus on how Biden lost so badly.
1: Oh, that, you too. Is- well, that too. That too. The fact that the results were delayed does both things. It makes it so mm-hmm. they don't have to cover that. If it happened on the night of that Biden got totally crushed, even someone like Chris Matthews wouldn't be able to hold back his tongue and be like, Biden got trounced. Like he would, there would be people who'd be like, okay, yeah, Biden's done. Like they would have to say that live on the air, right? Like even some of those people, this gave them an opportunity to not have to do that. I bet they're all fucking relieved, dude. Like they don't want to do that. They don't want to be put in that position. So I I don't know. It's fascinating how much this helped out the establishment, uh, mainstream media people and the DNC. Fascinating.
0: Why, 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 (laughs) why, 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 why? Remember that Biden clip where the guy was just like, do you have a response to Bernie Sanders? And he's like, why, 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 why? And he's like prodding the guy in the chest.
1: He's absolutely insane. There's been like three clips since then where he's prodding different people in the chest, including a a black uh, man. He's And it's just like, dude. Like, I can't believe somebody actually hasn't, like, grabbed his finger away yet. Right. There's people who can't be touched that way or they'll trigger them into, like, an angry response. <laughs> so how has he not encountered someone like that yet? I don't know. It's just That's really That's just weird.
0: Uncle Joe, Rob. He's just, really he's just our creepy Uncle Joe who has eight sexual harassment allegations outstanding against him. You look back at his record, I mean, it is very disturbing to actually read through what he has done to women. And this is aside from these creepy uh, Joes smelling girls' hair and, you know, patting them on the chest and shoulders and whispering in women's ears and all of that at the swearing-in ceremonies. These are completely separate from them. These are like staffers and politicians and stuff who have come out and said, Joe did this to me, he did this to me, he made me very uncomfortable, he... He sexually harassed me. Um, The Anita Hill scandal was atrocious. Looking back at that, even his comments on Watergate were so funny to look back on. I mean, he was talking exactly like he does now. I mean, he, he goes up there. He defends the Republicans the whole time. He like gave cover to the Republicans. And then he basically just like sexually harasses women reporters who are in the audience of the Watergate hearings. It's a fascinating spectacle. Um, and that clip that you're talking about, I didn't see the one with the African-American guy, but I saw the one with that guy with the little hat on. And he was just like very kindly and diplomatically like, hey, Biden, I'm going to vote for you in the general. He's like, but you have to stop building these pipelines. And he was like, you have to vote for somebody else. And he's like buckling his coat. He actually like reaches on both sides of his coat and starts buttoning it up.
1: Yeah, that as was really creepy. And the he's guy looked like. You looked have like-
0: to vote for somebody else. And the guy was just like, well. What do you mean? He's like, I want to vote for you in the general. He's like, you just said that you weren't going to vote for me. And he's like, I said, I said, I'm going to vote for you in the general. He's like, you have to treat me good. Like, you can't treat me like this. It was unbelievable. It's seriously astonishing, his behavior. I can't believe it. I mean, I
1: just can't believe that it's more Trumpian style behavior from him, but it doesn't end up working out for him in the same way it works out for Trump. (laughs) The swagger doesn't materialize into something that's like any, in any way charming, like that ma- weird magic that Trump has and is able to channel. Biden just does weird things, bullish, bullyish things to people. So it's, I, it's really off putting.
0: You have to vote for somebody else.
1: Yeah. He doesn't even give a shit. It's, or he acts like he doesn't give a shit.
0: Last comments on the Iowa caucus for people who are listening that aren't American, this is our sham democracy. This is the democracy that we export around the world, crush democratically elected um, governments, stage coups, start bombing campaigns and full-blown invasions and occupations of other countries on the premise of them having illegitimate governments and illegitimate elections. And look at us, look at what this democracy is. Everything from the electoral college to gerrymandering, to voter suppression, to now just straight up election rigging.
1: Yeah. Or 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 even just like the idea that you get mocked or shamed for wanting to vote for third party. Like like yeah. other countries don't I mean if they do that, we would call it an anti democratic society. So it's just like the whole thing yep. is so laughable.
0: Yep. And then like you said the Democrats agree with the Republicans on the worst things. I mean, look at the State of the Union. Oh, last thing. Mike just texted me an updated thing from another county in Iowa, Cedar County. This just shows you how warped this shit is. Bernie gets 211 votes in this county and is awarded 16 delegates. Pete got 205 votes and is awarded 18 delegates. Yeah, And that's I saw in the that same county. Of- so how does that work?
1: Yeah. I mean, these breakdowns are not <laughs> making sense. Um, so, to say the very least. So, we'll have to see how this all pans out. Um, Coalition of the Willing, come at us. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening to this right now, uh, the Iowa caucus results are not completely in yet, as at the time we are recording this. So, we are going to insert an edit point when the results come in, right before the release of this podcast here that was recorded in the future.
0: Hey, what's up? Uh, Just a quick insertion here for a quick update on the Iowa debacle catastrophic uh, caucus results that have come in trickling over the last 72 hours. It is now Thursday, February 6th, and we still do not have 100% of the results in. (laughs) There's only 97% of the results tallied and given to the public. So here's the quick update. Bernie has won by 6,000 votes, and he is officially declaring victory. And when he's challenged on this by news reporters, he's saying, yeah, where I come from, I mean, winning by 6,000 votes is a huge victory. And also a wide enough margin that you can actually decisively declare that you are the victor in this race. Um, The last 3% of precincts that have not been accounted for probably will put him over the edge with state delegate equivalents. But for now, Pete is still winning with about three or four state delegate equivalents. Now, as we said before, these were won by arbitrary coin tosses and bizarre other factors that, you know, we really shouldn't take this number seriously, especially because it doesn't really do anything for the primary level. The thing that really matters is the state delegates, which they actually have an equal amount of, sadly, even though Bernie has won by 6,000 votes. So they're still equal with the state delegates Bernie is catching up rapidly with state delegate equivalents, and what really put Bernie over the edge, which is what we were hypothesizing this whole time, are these satellite caucuses, which were comprised of predominantly people of color, Ethiopian workers, Latino workers, African-Americans. I mean, as we talked about, I was a very white state. And so these satellite caucuses of working class people that were organizing themselves that Bernie and his supporters really focused and honed in on to get their support. They came in last. <laughs> so again, why why did the DNC, why did the Iowa Democratic Party not call these satellite caucuses who actually came in first in terms of voting in the day? Why were they counted almost 72 hours after the caucus was finished? <laughs> That's the real question here. And, and we knew the whole time that those caucuses, those caucus results were going to be all Bernie majority and we're going to put him over the edge. And that's exactly what happened. So here's here's the real uh, real just nail in the coffin here is that Tom Perez, the DNC chairman, after Bernie declared victory, after Pete Buttigieg took multiple victory laps and pretended that he was the winner, Tom Perez came out and said he wants to challenge the caucus vote. He wants to re-canvas the vote, saying, enough is enough. Um, He said, in light of the problems that have emerged in the implementation of the delegate selection plan and in order to assure public confidence in the result, a little too fucking late for that, Tom, I'm calling on the Iowa Democratic Party to immediately begin a re-canvas. Tom Perez, who notoriously hates Bernie Sanders, (laughs) comes out 72 hours later and says this, unbelievable, but that's not where it ends. Pete Buttigieg is now saying he wants to challenge the satellite caucus results, which is incredible because, again, to challenge these results of the predominantly people of color, all the working class people who voted overwhelmingly for Bernie, is very insulting. I'm not going to get into anything else right now. We will keep you updated on the next episode of Media Roots Radio, but stay tuned to both of our Twitter accounts for more updates. Um, This is changing moment by moment, but... What a complete and total shit show.
1: Yeah, should we talk about the State of the Union last night?
0: Go for it. I can't believe you actually watched it.
1: Yeah, so I watched Trump's State of the Union live on TV. And, uh, uh, you know, once again, when I'm always watching Trump do these kinds of speeches, I'm always waiting for him to, like, fuck up his teleprompter reading and just have, like, a catastrophic disaster during his speech. There's weird energy to him reading a teleprompter like this. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. He did flub several like really important lines, and I'm sure someone's already done an edit of like all the weird um, mess ups he did during the speech. Uh, but I think my favorite moment of the speech, by far, other than uh, the Democrats and the Republicans cheering, giving Juan, Juan Guaido a standing ovation for like over a minute. Uh, besides that, besides them cheering. In a bipartisan fashion for the assassination of Soleimani. Um, My favorite part was when Rush Limbaugh uh, was identified by Trump out of the audience as one of the most important American heroes of our generation, and he tells Rush that he's going to award him the Medal of Freedom, which is the highest honor that you can bestow on any civilian.
0: Was that the same medal that John Voight got?
1: It's the same medal that John Voight got. the same nice. medal that Bill Cosby got. the same medal that Irving Kristol got. So, yeah, it, it, there's definitely some people who got it who are um, pieces of shit, for sure. Yeah, he had told Rush Limbaugh that he was going to give it to him. And Rush Limbaugh acted really shocked, like he had no idea this was coming. And apparently, uh, the next day, it was reported that Rush Limbaugh had already been told that this is all going to happen. But in this very reality TV show style moment, Trump says, and now uh, you will receive the Medal of Freedom. Melania, will you do the honors? And he he basically, a guy, like a military official with the Medal of Freedom and like two other guys walk up and Rush gets up out of his chair looking like he's super surprised and about to cry. And Melania (laughs) Trump puts the Medal of Freedom around Rush Limbaugh's neck, Uh, to giant thundering applause and while this is happening lori sitting next to me watching it and she's like wow that's such a weird image that this is happening at all we were like like i was having almost like an out-of-body experience while watching it i was like wait this happened
0: during the state of the union yes he awarded rush limbaugh with a yes
1: yes he stands up and as soon as he's standing up i'm already like this doesn't feel real I know that Trump has done things that are crazy and bizarre like er, on a daily basis but this makes me feel like th- this is how is this real like I was so jarred by it while watching it that I honestly started having like an o- out of body feeling like that, that that something was really like the like a glitch in the matrix like this all of a sudden I was not in reality anymore this was a very extreme sensation while I was watching this and wow Lori sitting next to me on the couch while I'm sort of experiencing this out of body experience. And she says, Look how weird this image is of, or of Rush Limbaugh getting the Medal of Freedom by Melania while he's standing right in front of a swastika. And I was like, What are you talking Excuse about? And she's me? like, Look, look at that chair that's right behind them. There's a swastika on it. And I, I was like, What the fuck? That is a swastika. Like, what? How is this real? Like, I, I'm not Wait, saying that. What do you mean? The chair pattern is a swastika. Like an old school <laughs> swastika, like from like the night. You know how they used to use swastikas and like designs for things. <laughs> it's like that style design printed on the chair that Rush Limbaugh was just sitting on behind him as he's getting the Medal of Freedom put around his neck. I took a screenshot of it and I put it on Twitter. If anyone wants to see it, it is a blatant. Oh you my didn't see god! This?
0: I'm gonna look right now. Keep talking. This is nuts. Okay. And, you
1: know, Laurie, like, kind of zoomed in on the chair. Like, I wouldn't even have seen it. Oh, my God. Uh, But what a crazy thing to witness. I mean, total coincidence (gasps) that this chair had a swastika on it, but still just such a weird image. It is such an unbelievable, unreal scene. And not just the visual of it, but the audio, the thundering applause The fact that Trump is just standing there with his chin moving up and down, looking all proud at Rush Limbaugh, um, getting the Medal of Freedom. I mean, the whole thing was absolutely ridiculous. And if you're going to count the top three Iraq war propagandists who were the most influential during the Bush era, who did the most damage to the national dialogue on the war, as individuals outside of government, Rush Limbaugh is easily in the top three. Maybe even he takes the number one slot. If you're thinking of individuals, I, maybe between him and Bill Crystal. It's a, it's a tie maybe actually in terms of influential media individuals and personalities who influence people into going along with the Iraq war, and brainwash the American public. AM radio, right-wing talk radio during the early 2000s was bigger for right-wing politics in the internet by far. It was still Absolutely. bigger than Fox News even. The 90s was, was where that era really blew up. That's why Al Franken wrote that silly book called like Rush Limbaugh's a Big Fat Idiot. Because at that point, that was like the big right-wing media engine was AM right-wing talk. So it was all about Rush Limbaugh. I think it's really fascinating that we've let conservatives like Tucker, even Sean Hannity, and even Rush rebrand now and pretend that they hate the deep state. Sean Hannity now does rants about how much Hillary Clinton is a warmonger and how she bombed oh Libya God. and he hates her for that. And Rush Limbaugh talks about how the deep state is out to get Trump. I mean, these people are part of the deep state. They, these people are some of the biggest propagandists that have ever existed. And maybe they're not themselves neocon ideologues like Robert Kagan or Bill Kristol exactly, You know, but neither is John Bolton. He's not exactly like that same kind of neocon ideologue. But they're all, these people are all neocons. They were all part of the neocon agenda to sell the war on terror, the post 9 11 era, and the Iraq war during the Bush era. We cannot let that be forgotten. And I think it's really fascinating that someone like Rush can even rebrand himself now because he's like into Trump as being this anti establishment guy. I mean, he's getting the Medal of Freedom by the President of the United States. All of these people were complicit and horrible neocon war crimes. And I will not let any of them ever rebrand. And I don't care if they're not technically neocon ideologues, they are neocons to me. And this motherfucker who just announced that he's he's probably gonna die of lung cancer, I hope he rots in hell. This neocon monster deserves to rot in hell. He is responsible for the so deaths of much millions damage, of people. And
0: not just with war, but it, uh, similar to Tucker Carlson, I mean, dehumanizing oh, people, uh, racism. Uh, I just can't even fathom it. You've listened to a lot more Rush Limbaugh than I have, but I remember the era that you're talking about, where right wing radio reigned supreme, and has had a devastating impact in this country, and kind of brainwashed millions of people, like living out in rural areas and stuff. And Rush Limbaugh was pioneer of that.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, he was the, the number fact one guy. That
0: Democrats actually. The fact that Democrats joined in unison to applaud this man? How? How? In the era of Trump? First of all, why the fuck were they there? Why did you show up to the state? Shouldn't this man just be boycotted in general? Like, And shouldn't they be booed? If you're applauding Rush Limbaugh with a Medal of Honor, shouldn't you boo this? This man is a disgusting pig. Yeah, this Racist was, war monger. And this was a
1: symbiotic relationship. I mean... Rupert Murdoch himself is not like a neocon ideologue necessarily, but is a symbiotic. He had a symbiotic relationship with Roger Ailes and the what the Fox News Bush agenda was. Rush Limbaugh may not be, you know, an Irving Crystal from school or the school of thought of Irving Crystal, but you have to remember Rush Limbaugh was the most popular by far AM right-wing radio talk show host in the 90s, and he was platforming people like Bill Crystal, Michael Ledeen, Richard Pearl, uh, Frank Gaffney in the 1990s before Fox News was even doing any of that stuff. He was a pioneer yep. in this area. He helped pave the way for Fox News and what they became. This monster needs to rot in fucking hell, and it just makes me sick, you know? That Ann Coulter is now posting stuff like she's anti-neocon. She even shared that article about Robert Kagan that Rania Kalik wrote three years ago that I was quoted in. And I was just like, what are you doing? You're you're a fucking neocon monster. Total Iraq war cheerleader. Nobody should ever forget how complicit you were in mass murder and near genocide. You have that blood on your hands for every fucking monster.
0: So what else was in the State of the Union? I I can't even believe what you're telling me right now.
1: What else was in the State of the Union was um, several moments where he tokenistically used U.S. soldiers and U.S. military people as props and African-Americans as props multiple times. So he tried to attack Democrats from the left on criminal justice reform by mentioning that and how basically comparing himself to Obama, how Obama, you know, he's doing more for getting African-Americans out of jail
0: um he Which is insulting too, to just be like this is the issue that you care the most about, you know, because you guys are like the criminals. It's either that he's
1: strategically trying to get the black vote away from some Democratic voters, or he's trying to just give a like a one up over Obama. Either way, it's really weird strategy. He also used a family whose daughter was killed by ISIS, I guess, serving in the US military. Oh my god. Um, as props. Um, he did a soldier reunion live on during the State of the Union as like a little reality TV moment again after the Rush Limbaugh Medal of Freedom moment. This is his most jam-packed like reality TV style State of the Union yet. So for a lot of Republicans and people in his base, it was probably like one of the, his best shining moments ever for them. He had bragged about the assassination of Baghdadi. It was his first chance to really gloat about that to a captivated audience. He bragged about assassinating Soleimani. He went on and on for about five minutes about how many American soldiers' death Soleimani was responsible for and how every IED that blew up uh, was made by Soleimani and shit. And just like, dude, this is exactly what we talked about on the Media Roots podcast. It's straight up trying to glue together that narrative that not even the Bush administration could glue together. And uh, that he's just pushing out on the State of the Union, that Soleimani is responsible for every IED blast. And it's just like, how is this happening?
0: Yeah, and then the anchors after Trump's State of the Union were all just like, that was a great speech. They're just like, we have to give it to him. Their twist on it was just like, but the speech doesn't define Trump because Trump has done horrible things. It's like, why are you covering? Which anchors are
1: you talking about?
0: I don't remember specifically who they were. It was, a, it was several panels. Okay. I was watching CNN. Interesting. And they were all basically like, the economy is doing really well, Robbie. Fascinating. The economy is doing great. And it's really hard to criticize Trump when he's in such a good economy.
1: Well, I have to give it a little bit to MSNBC because I watched their coverage of it. And immediately afterwards, I was like sort of happy, you know, even though Brian Williams and Rachel Maddow are total absolute tools it was still a relief to hear them both say, right as the camera was panning out, you know how like they're still showing the scene of the State of the Union with everyone clapping while Trump's walking through and the panelists start talking anyways. Uh, Brian Williams is like, that speech was bizarre, uh, intense, uh, quite a strange scene Uh, because it was like, I mean, it was super bizarre. Like that was the main takeaway, I think for most people who aren't like diehard Trump fans. I'm sure even some Republicans in that um, chamber were also shocked that he gave a Rush Limbaugh a Medal of Freedom. I mean, some of them had oh to be. Oh my God. You know, that's taking things to a whole other level. There's always supposed to be some separation between people in government and these like right-wing talk show hosts, you know? But Trump has broken down that wall. He let Sean Hannity and Judge Janine. Announce him at a campaign rally and do a speech like Mm -hmm. side by side with them. The wall's gone, dude. So I'm sure some Republicans have to be uncomfortable with that because that wall is useful for them. Some of them, you know, so that's that's got to be weird. Like even someone like Lindsey Graham, Rush Limbaugh's like made fun of Lindsey Graham for sounding like a gay guy on his show before. So I'm sure that, you know, even Lindsey Graham's probably like a little uncomfortable. So I don't know. It's just it's just so mind-blowing on so many levels. It's really hard to process. And then speaking of right-wing ideologues, uh, for people out there, listen to, um, even if you hate Ann Coulter, which I w- would expect you to if you listen to our show, but even if you do, go and check out this America Divided. Um, or maybe it's called a Nation Divided, a frontline special series of interviews. There's an hour-long interview with Ann Coulter that's very fascinating where she is blasting Trump for the entire interview, for being a narcissist, for being lazy, for his family being dumb. Uh, It's stupid. Why would he hire his family? She bashes Ivanka and Jared Kushner multiple times. It's actually really jarring and also sort of refreshing in a way to know that there's still like one generic right-wing piece of shit dirtbag out there who actually is very vocal against Trump, who's like one of these mainstream people. Because all of them just act like they're just all lockstep on the same page as him now. Just this big tent, you know, faux unity thing. So it's, I like that to know that someone like Ann Coulter is actually still really outspoken against him. And that's, I think that's, it's useful, but it's also fascinating just to watch it. Um even though she doesn't think Trump has gone far enough on a lot of these right-wing policies. Mm, right. But it's still... Right.
0: It's coming from the... Yeah. yeah,
1: but it's still funny that to hear her just blasting him for being like a narcissist. And, and really a lot of the things that are just really true about him that right-wingers will never say about him, you know, because they don't want to offend him. So um, check that out if you're curious about it.
0: What you're saying now just reminds me of the entire impeachment proceedings. All of these Republicans just playing it safe... Um, kissing Trump's ass, really looking out for their own, you know, and not wanting to basically upset him. And all of them just testifying and saying the exact same thing that Trump really cares about corruption in Ukraine. It's just kind of sad because when this whole thing started, based on the reception from Fox News, I really thought that there was going to be more of a split of people just being like, well, we can't deny that an impeachable offense happened you I mean because of people um, like chris not wallace and stuff at all. yeah
1: like because they were saying on fox news like people were actually like yeah admitting, yeah, like, yeah judge napolitano was full-on right. admitting yep. that these were multiple impeachable offenses yep um who i don't know if you guys remember this but there was talk actually that judge napolitano was going to be one of trump's supreme court picks at a certain point wow so for to have someone like him take that stance is actually a pretty big deal i think but yeah, I mean, not a surprise at all that today uh, we're recording this podcast only a few hours after the final vote. Um, let me actually read what the final vote of impeachment was. There was two articles of impeachment, and today was the final vote. Um, the uh, closing arguments were done by the Democrat side and Trump's team of lawyers uh, over the last two days, mostly, um, you know, Monday and Tuesday. And uh, on Article One, the vote was split. Um, abuse of power: forty-eight yes, no, or fifty-two no. Forty-eight yes, fifty-two no. They actually needed to get two-thirds of the vote, so that's how many votes they were short. It's it looks closer than it actually is because they actually need two-thirds of the vote. That's how far big of a margin there there was. Um, so just so I explain that again, and people were confused. It's not that they only needed four more votes to get the art, abuse of power article to stick. They needed like something like 10 more votes, at least, um, because they need two-thirds of the vote. On Article 2, Obstruction of Congress, which was absolutely clear-cut and blatant that he did do that, 100%. Um, and that's why Tulsi's present vote on that particular article is more bullshitty than anything because of that specifically um the vote broke down of forty seven yes Democrats and fifty three no um which is kind of fascinating because the fact that more people would vote against that uh than the um than the obstruction of Congress or than the abuse of power one so Mitt Romney was one of the only key votes. he actually crossed party lines and voted yes on article one and no on article two. so I think besides that. Um, It was completely unanimous across party lines. Mitt Romney was the only single person from the Republican side to vote yes on Article One. Um, So, yeah, I mean, not surprising at all, really. This was pretty much doomed to fail. But what was a more surprising vote was that the GOP did knock down a vote on bringing in witnesses, 51 to 49. All the Democrats voted for witnesses. Two Republicans voted for witnesses also, Susan Collins and Mitt Romney, but the vote still didn't get through. Um, Pretty much that ended, that put the final kibosh on any potential hope for Trump being impeached at that point. Because the most cartoonish part of all this so far was that John Bolton came out as being the key, Abby. He was going to be the key to uh, unlocking all this and he was going to save the day come in and testify and admit that Trump did all this stuff and uh, overnight become a resistance hero, that this villain, John Bolton, was going to become the hero to um, make impeachment actually happen. And for like two or three days, that seemed to be like what Adam Schiff and these Democrats wanted him to become. Um, They were very excited for that possibility. And I guess this all came about because John Bolton announced his book... um, that it was, and maybe alluded to knowing things about what Trump did or did not do. And people were like, oh, maybe there's some things in this book where he's going to reveal things about those conversations and a manuscript.
0: I love that they were just going to trust John Bolton. I know, right? Somehow seal the deal on this.
1: Yeah. So him becoming a resistance hero has already been in the works for the past, you know, even when he got fired, Rachel Maddow, or even before he got fired, Rachel Maddow was like, how does John Bolton feel? about like Trump talking shit about his foreign policy or whatever. Even when he left, people from the resistance started to like already try to make him seem heroic, that he was like one of the adults in the room or something. There's really not a whole lot to say about it other than this ended up being pretty much a total waste of time. Um, It will weaken any actual attempt to impeach him for something more strong and more along the lines of something that we think would be valid to impeach him over moving forward. Um, and it also, you know, and even Trump's children, and I think even Trump mentioned this already, that this impeachment thing is also making Bernie have to stay in Washington and not yeah. he's not able to campaign because the Senate has to be in session. So they're alluding to the fact that uh, maybe this is all uh, also to saddle Bernie. So they're like <laughs> going even more conspiratorial than even like, you know, the Chapo left is about this. So it's just, it's really fascinating to see, um, not saying that impeachment totally backfired, but it's just a total waste of time. It wasted everybody's time. And um, it's really too bad that uh, they couldn't c- come up with more convincing witnesses to really like, you know, go on record to say what happened. And it's really too bad that the Trump administration got away with obstructing Congress that much. I mean, that's kind of unprecedented, too, uh, that they were able to do that. Um, They didn't have to, like, hand over any documents. You know, nobody from the actual administration testified. So that's really strange.
0: It was a complete kangaroo court. And the fact that they didn't actually try to impeach him over the emoluments clause is beyond me. And now here we are where, like you said, it just takes... Takes the wind out of the sails for any real impeachment proceedings that are gonna happen. Um, I heard Jank Uger give a really good take on this, where he was just like, "We should, they should initiate more charges that are actually legitimate this time, and just keep it going." I mean, I don't know if that's even, if that even makes sense, but it's like he could easily be impeached in a more bipartisan fashion if they go over and try to charge him with some of this corruption of like personally profiting off of the office. I it's just nuts. I don't I don't think that they
1: could I after watching what happened, I think that mm-hmm. the Republicans I do think something happened with that Iran Soleimani assassination that what do you like, mean? Like it created more excitement among the Republicans that this is a ride that they want to stay in for um and it's totally worth the risk. To have Trump just acting so crazy all the time that it's like worth whatever bad things Trump does um, to to sort of move more in that direction, and even just the fact that they were not more deb- deliberative or debating the idea even among the Republican Party about the obstruction of Congress is really surprising as well. And uh, I just think things are so partisan now. This this my concern moving forward is not so much that this backfires on the Democrats or the Democratic Party, and I really don't care very much if it does or not, my concern moving forward is this actually strengthen the Republican unity for Trump and it makes them more committed to defending him and being in his corner now. Like, every little mm-hmm. battle that Trump gets involved in, like Russiagate or the impeachment, and that he comes out the winner where he doesn't get, like they are not able to take him down, it's like that makes their commitment behind him even more. So I would say... Any chance of him getting impeached moving forward, like even if they brought out like a tape of him admitting to something totally blatant, I feel like they would still be okay with it. Like,
0: that's, I, I don't know. I mean, there were, pr- that pretty much happened. Yeah. It was so obvious what happened, but yeah, it's just such a hyper partisan thing that he would never have gotten indicted from the Republicans. But I mean, he did get impeached. I'm happy that he got impeached. Um, But yeah, it's a shame that it came off the heels of a failed Russiagate investigation for two wasted years. And like you said, obscuring all these other things, like the Muslim ban, um, all these people dying in immigrant detention, and just how bad the policies have gotten over the last couple of years because everything's been a distraction.
1: Yeah, I do think there is something to him assassinating Soleimani during all this. I think the timing is suspect enough to wonder if he did it to strengthen not only his political base in DC among the elite classes there that might have been on the fence about him before that, which I think is hugely important. I saw Institute for the Study of War people, the Kim Kagan think tank, acting really excited about what was going to come from his foreign policy after that. They were like, one of them named Jennifer Kerala for the Institute for the Study of War tweeted, we're not in the Obama any era anymore, folks. Like this is a different, this is a new kind of foreign policy. Like in an cool. excited fashion, she was expressing that. So that actually, I think is hugely important. I th- I do think some Trump did something where he brought more of those elite D.C. think tank people back onto his side. After this, he's willing to play it ball in a way that they haven't seen in a long time, and they're they I think they're a little bit excited about that. So. I do think that that strengthens him moving forward and a second term of Trump at this point to me is more scarier than ever because of that. You know, if Trump has wavered a little bit because he's too, you know, whatever changes his mind on how aggressive he wants to be on Iran on a particular day, if he's still wavering now, he's going to be wavering, I think, less in his second term. I mean, Absolutely. I think we really need to seriously think about how much more dangerous and scary this could get if Trump wins a second term. I mean, it was scary enough in his first term. the second term could be far worse, yeah,
0: he has nothing to lose yeah.
1: the second term um could be far, far worse. He has nothing to lose even from those fake you know anti regime change war people that pretend to be into him who think he's anti war I mean he has nothing to lose from anybody at that point, so
0: yeah, it's a scary election cycle, that's for sure, and all of these shenanigans and catastrophic maneuvering from the Democratic Party is really upsetting. And I just don't know where we're going to go from here, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens moving forward. And yeah, I mean, Trump's base is stronger than ever. That's the problem.
1: Yeah. And I mean, a lot of Democrats were talking about how, you know, Trump could figure out a way to not leave the office, you know? I mean, and even though he jokes about that, um, I think we need to start seriously considering that Considering what I, we've just been talking about—that the Supreme Court chose George W. Bush—and then a year after that, the 9/11 neocon wet dream happened—and here again, they've basically done a two-two th- day blackout on the Iowa caucus results, where it could have given Bernie this huge boost, media boost to like to where it would have been like an unstoppable train moving forward—and they've taken that away. I, I don't want to be too cynical, but like this could be our the last semblance of an actual election that we have and when you combine that with how much they're locking down the internet how much they're trying to stifle independent thought they're pulling out all the stops if you think something like the wikileaks dnc dumps of 2016 will ever happen again in this country you will be naive they are trying to do everything they can to prevent anything like that from ever happening again and that's not, and that, and that's a light version of trying to subvert the democratic process. They're trying to rig the elections too. Like, this is a really, this is really serious. Um, and I just think, you know, we need to keep fighting. We need to fight harder than ever, I think, right now. Like now, I mean, it, it, I don't want to sound too dark, but we, I mean, if Trump gets a second term, think about how dark things can get. And so this yeah. this needs to be our one of our strongest fights ever right now.
0: Totally agree with everything you just said. Let us know what you think. I mean, especially those outside the country. I'm just curious of how how things are shaping up and how crazy you think this looks because it's almost like we've been beaten down so much and so consistently that this just feels like an inevitability and also like, normal at this point because we've been fucked with so much but it is scary to think that all the criminalization of of the wikileaks stuff the crackdown on the the internet the arrest of julian assange all leading up to this election cycle you know the bipartisan consensus on all the worst foreign policy shit the fake resistance bernie getting screwed a lot of unknowns a lot of unknowns, um, a very tumultuous time. And and to me, this is something that's a really significant moment in world history. I mean, this is the most significant moment in elections in the U S my entire life. And there's a crossroads that could be taken. And the question is, where are we going to go from here? Um, what kind of future do we want? And are we going to fight for it?
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah let's not let any of these motherfuckers rebrand um tucker carlson needs to (laughs) needs to be held to account he tried to join the cia his father is one of the most influential u.s government propagandists ever um he has blood on his hands he told millions of people on tv that he thinks iran is evil and they should be annihilated do not let these people live down their legacies they all deserve to be held to account um and uh yeah. Um, don't stop fighting the good fight. Uh, and please support us at patreon.com slash media roots radio. Um, every little bit counts. And if you're donating $20 or more, you get access to, um, either one of Abby or I, uh, my films. Um, so check that out. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media roots radio. And also, uh, please yeah, give us a good rating on any podcast platform you listen to um share our podcast with people please spread the links around and uh yeah we can't do it without you guys so thank you again
0: thanks so much for listening